Good morning and happy Sabbath. We are glad to see so many of you visiting the campus for a friendship tournament. Uh, we hope that so far, if your hearts have been broken, it does not uh, take away from you being able to uh, enjoy the rest of what Walla Walla has to offer. I know we have the championship games coming up this Saturday, and obviously not everyone's in the game, but uh, God bless you for at least trying. And all of those who are going to be in the game, <laughs> if you're going to be in the championship game, uh, God bless you and, and, and do your best. I'm sure you'll, you'll do a, a wonderful job. Uh, we want to thank the choir and the orchestra for a marvelous job in helping to lead us in worship. It's always such a pleasure to preach and have you all behind us and to have been so integral to what we do. So thank you um, for being part of what happens in this building. Join with me as we pray this morning. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that we have the privilege to come and to worship, to come as a community, to come as family, to come as friends, and to acknowledge that all good things come from you. Lord, as we come this morning, we ask that you will comfort those who are afflicted, that you will afflict those who are comforted, and that together we will leave here bearing the image of Christ more fully, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So an axiom is a governing principle or a rule of thumb that you employ in life to be able to make decisions. Axioms are understood to be self-evident. It's kind of like a duh thing. It's axiomatic. Water is wet, fire is hot, a number is equal to itself, two parallel lines never intersect. When you have the ball at the one-yard line, you always give it to Marshawn Lynch. You never throw it. Axioms. In 1930, a vine native to Japan was introduced to America because America was dealing with the scourge of erosion. And so they went to Japan and took this vine, which helped the land not to erode as quickly as it used to. And it did a fabulous job. But 40 years later, the USDA officially declared this miracle vine a weed, growing better in the South, and if you're, if you're from the South, this is not just a picture, this has been a reality for you. This is kudzu and it's invasive. It will come into your home, it will crawl over cars, and it can grow up to two feet a day. And so kudzu climbs trees, barns, it suffocates forests, and it, it kills life. Even though it started off as something good, it became a weed. And the story of Kudzu is sort of the grounding picture we're going to have this morning for the next few minutes as we think about this other axiom that what you water grows. In our life, what we water grows. Now, although the Christmas season seems like a really distant memory, like it was such a long time ago that we were singing carols, that we had lights up, it was only three and a half weeks. And we are just about to start another year. We're just at the start of another decade, and I think it behooves us to still take a moment to think about how we want to live the rest of the year while we are in January, to think about how our lives ought to be in December while we are right now in January. 
So for many of us, January is the month where we plant. We sow new habits for physical activity. We scatter seeds to be more uh, consistent in our diet. We pot more consistent sleep habits. We plant systems for better fiscal responsibility in our family. January is the time we make crucial decisions. Because what grows in November, my friends, has been planted and has been watered in January. What we are seeing in 2020, what we are going to reap this year, many of us planted last year. The things in our life that we are dealing with were already put in the ground and watered a long time before we saw it. And so if it is true that what we water will grow, then we have to pay attention to our life as followers of Jesus and think carefully about what we are watering in our lives. This morning, if you don't count yourself as a follower of Jesus, perhaps you grew up in the church, perhaps you are battling uh, with some doubts, you're unsure where you are, but you find yourself here for one reason or another, I will implore you not to switch off, not to think this is going to be an irrelevant message for you, but to recognize that even the wisdom that comes from the Bible can meet you where you are and can make a difference in your life. And so here we are today, it's January, it's like the starting line, we're, we're ready, the gun has gone off, and we're just about to begin the race for 2020. And I think it's important that we hear wisdom from an ancient voice that will help direct us as we run this race in 2020. Today we're going to be in the book of Hosea, and we're going to look at this book, which was written by an 8th century BC prophet, and he authored a book that was generally about prophecies. Scholars called Hosea the doom and gloom prophet. You know, there are nicknames you have. His could have been the doom and gloom prophet. He had a difficult life. And if you look at Hosea's story, you will see that although he's the doom and gloom prophet, perhaps on the surface, if you look below the surface, this message of doom and gloom is undergirded by a promise that although there is destruction, there is still hope and there is restoration. And when I read the book of Hosea, um, if you've read the Bible before, maybe you've come across it. It's a weird book. There's just no other way to talk about Hosea other than saying it's a very strange book. The Bible is full of incredible stories, incredible tales, things that often will make you scratch your head. We have no sort of cultural context for some of the things we read in the book of Hosea. So I would categorize some of the stories in the Bible as being low-key weird. But Hosea is not just low-key weird, Hosea is high-key weird. It's straight weird. You will read the story and you say, why is this in the Bible? This makes absolutely no sense. It's like the ravings of a madman who had a bad experience on Tinder and decided he was just going to be mad at the world forever. You're laughing, but have you read Hosea? And then this man who has a terrible experience on Tinder then goes on to have the most awkward conversations with his parents and then has the 
awful prospect of having to take the person he met on Tinder to meet his parents, and when they sit down and they say, Hosea, how nice of you to come. Thank you for bringing your girlfriend, Goma. Tell me about Goma. Goma, what have you been doing? Where did you meet? Did you meet at college? Did you meet when you were on holiday, Goma? And then Goma would say, no, we met at 2 a.m. when I was in the red light district, and Goma came and told me God said he should marry me. Now, how would that go down in your house if you brought your significant other to your parents and you said, God told me that this person I ought to be married to. And this is the story of Hosea. God literally tells him, my friend, go marry a prostitute. He finds Goma. He marries her. And she does not pay him back with undying fidelity and love. Instead, Goma um, becomes incredibly agitated and is constantly running out of the home, cheating on Hosea. And every time she cheats on him, does he say, I'm good. Now I can wash my hands. I did what God told me to. I am now released of this responsibility. No. Every time she goes, God says, go after her. And he, and he has to go after Goma every single time. And when you read the book of Hosea, you see that this story functions as a symbol of God's relationship with Israel. God has seen Israel as prostituting themselves and having divided affections. And he is saying, even though all your affection is not on me, I still love you enough that I am going to chase you. I'm going to woo you. I'm going to beckon you. I'm going to be relentless in my pursuit of you. And so he has Hosea play this out in real time. And so the message of the book is that God is eager to love and to forgive all offenses, that God searches for opportunities for mercy. And then we come to our text this morning in Hosea chapter 10. And we're going to read a few verses uh, in verses 12 and 13. This is Hosea speaking uh, to a nation which is far from God, which has nations breathing down its back. And he says this, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Then verse 13, you have plowed iniquity. You have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you have trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors. It's a devastating critique, my friends, of the state of Israel. It's a devastating um, Uh, condemnation of their actions. And yet, laced in Hosea chapter 10 is this call to return to repentance, to reformation of what they have been doing. The passage starts off by employing like a trifecta, three imperative verbs. He's saying you need to uh, sow, you need to reap, you need to plow. It's urgent. He's saying where you are is not a good place. This is not business as usual. Wake up do something. And so there's an urgency which is attendant in this text. But then there's also this um, picture of planting and sowing. And I know here in the university church, we have people because I don't know if you noticed when you drove to Walla Walla, but there's like farms here, you know, there's there's farms. (laughs) And there are people in this congregation who know how to put stuff in the ground and make it grow. And it's a miracle. It's amazing. 
And this is what Jose is doing. He's employing this agricultural sowing metaphor, and it reminds me, and I'm sure it reminds you if you have been familiar with the Bible, of Jesus. When you go to the parables, Jesus Christ in Matthew 13 and Mark 4 in Luke 8 gives stories about the importance of soil, gives stories about the importance of um, uh, making sure that you prepare soil, you put seed in, you give it water, that the state of your heart has to be ready to receive good seed that grows. And I think all of this is a beautiful, wonderful injunction for us. And yet, as I read this and think about the new year, I think, Hosea, you're right. Yep, I want to start the new year in my life and sow towards righteousness, like you say. Hosea, I want God to break the hard ground in my heart, the places I've become callous and indifferent, the places in my life that are facing aridity because they are not being well watered. I want that experience, Hosea. I want that experience. But I think it's difficult to even begin to, to have our hearts broken for new seed to take place if our life is choked by weeds. If the state of our heart looks like the picture of the kudzu, where weeds have intertwined themselves where they are suffocating our ability to even have room to receive the seed of God's word, we are not going to be particularly successful in having any change as we go into a new year. We may have the desire to, but the reality is not much will change. And as I thought about this passage, uh, something hit me that happened last year just before Thanksgiving when my wife came home and she brought home this plant. So I'm like, okay, babe, what is this? She's a, she says, no idea, but we have a plant. It's gonna be in our house. And as I spoke to some people after uh, the first service, they had said, well, if you're anything like me, when a plant comes in, we cross ourselves and we give it a eulogy because it's gonna die. <laughs> and I'm part of those ranks. I have killed 92.7% of any plant that has ever come into my house. Doesn't matter. You know, I thought I was really fancy. I tried to get a fiddle leaf fig. Forget those things. They're the most nervous, pretentious plants ever. They look good on Pinterest. They would die in your house, right? Killed a fiddle leaf. I've tried succulents. Killed them. I've tried those vines. Killed them. I kill everything. So I think, well, my wife has brought home a plant. Let's see how this goes. So she brings it. It looks sorry, it's, t it's, it's not particularly uh, attractive, but I'm thinking there's some leaves here at the top that look like they have potential. Let's keep it, let's try it. We didn't buy it, what have we got to lose? And so we have this plant in our home, and after a couple of weeks, I start to realize that it's not doing too well. And so I send a, an SOS, you know, on who wants to be a millionaire. When you're stuck, one of the options is you can call a friend. So I decided, let me call a friend. So I got uh, on the phone, and I didn't call a friend, but I text a friend. Text a friend who lives in Seattle and who is a plant whisperer. 
worked in a nursery, knows how to keep things alive. And I said, I need help. This is my plant. No idea what this plant is. Look at it. It's in terrible shape. So then we get into this text message uh, stream and, and I tell her, I don't know what's wrong, giving it water. It's getting light. I don't know its name. I was given it five weeks ago. Then she asked me this good question. If you're a planter, you know why she's asking. She says, is it in a liner so you can drain the water when you water it? Looks like it's just in a pot. Any extra water will sit at the bottom and will rot the root. Okay. Well, fortunately for me, when we got this plant, if you can see this, it has an inbuilt drainer at the bottom. It's not just a pot with the, with the roots stuck and rotting away. So then I respond to my friend. I said, I think the pot has one. She goes, oh yeah, looks like it does. Is there water in it? Does it come apart? Are the leaves dry as they wrinkle up? So she's doing diagnostic work here. No water in there. How often are you watering it? Um, every few weeks. Why are you laughing? Every few, every few weeks. They don't feel crunchy, but they look sad and shriveled. Ha ha ha, so sad. Is the soil drying between watering? And I said, yes, by sheer ignorance, it dries. And then I have this bright idea. I remember that I'd bought this instrument that tells me about how dry the soil is. So I get the instrument, I take a picture, and I'm like, oh snap, that's on red. So I put it in and it's bone dry. Bone dry, my friends. Next slide. And then, I, and she's, and then I'm like, ah, oh, this would explain, uh, no, no, then I send this to her and then she laughs and says, depending on what it is, it may be getting too much direct light as well. It looks like a type of money tree. I'm like, ah, oh, that would explain this burnt looking leaf. So things just aren't going well. And then we have one more exchange. She's like, yes, maybe so. Try watering it every week, at least during the winter when the heat is on in the house and it's drying inside. Maybe give it a dose of indoor plant food too. So I respond with a, you know, a Justin Timberlake, thank you, appreciate it, we're done. So after she's finished with me, I take uh, one of the Best Buy cards or no, Home Depot cards. About a year ago, I preached about getting an $18 Home uh, Depot card. I took it and I went and bought plant food. And then I came and I watered it and I gave it plant food and I moved it and made sure it was well positioned to get indirect light, not direct light. I spoke to the plant. I told the plant it was going to make it, that it was destined for greatness. And you know what? It started to grow. I saw a difference. The plant started to grow and we felt like, yes, yes, finally, one day we're going to have a plant that we're not going to kill. And it grows and we're happy with it. And then I remember in January, we were sitting uh, in, our, in our living room and I was looking at the plant and then I had an epiphany. It was not really an epiphany, it was like a six uh, feeling in the pit of my stomach because I looked at the plant and I said, hold on, I know what this is. I've given this my energy and my time, but I think I know what this is. During the summer, I had stuff like this growing on the side of my house and I went to war with it. And I hacked it down because it was a weed. And I said to my wife, honey, I think I've been watering and keeping alive a weed. <laughs> so we go outside and we look, we're like, surely, that's right, my friends. Yours truly 
for the first time ever kept a plant alive and it was a weed. <laughs> and as soon as this moment of realization hit me, I said to myself, this is so prescient for my life and the lessons are, are, are vast. Because I said to myself, I wonder what else I have been doing in my life where I have misidentified a plant, which is really a weed. I wonder what other areas in my life and maybe in your life where you have got to the stage where you have said, you know what, this is going to be the right relationship for me. They're so good for me. And you're like, this is going to give me an abundance of happiness. And you don't realize you are in a relationship, my friends, and you are watering a weed, not a plant. And you are standing in January. You're about to go into the rest of the year. And you have a decision to make. We all have decisions to make. Because we have to understand that um, what we water grows. And some of us need to make a difficult decision to let some things die because they're weeds, not plants. And I was thinking, you know, for example, you know, I gave the example of being in a relationship. There are some um, who have come to Walla Walla. They're like, yeah, this is it. This is going to be great. Adventist education. I'm going to get a fantastic degree, world-class instruction from incredible professors, and I'm going to snag me a husband or a wife. And so they're like, I'm going to sow into that. I'm going to join every club. I'm going to be in the gym looking good. I'm going to make sure that I am ready when that moment comes. But what you've been doing, even though your goal is to make sure you can snag a significant other while you're at Walla Walla, is that you are only sending text messages and double tapping on their IG pictures, but you never talk to them. You have a chronic inability to just have a conversation with a person without a screen. And so you aren't watering the potential for your relationship. Rather, you are, you know, stifled in your ability to move forward in what you want to do. I think about myself as I had this realization that I had been watering a weed. I thought about my own life as a parent. And I thought, you know, all parents want to be in a stage of their life where you are able to have good, loving relationships with your children. You can pass on the heritage of love for the kingdom of God and for Jesus. You want there to be open and reciprocal communication. And yet, rather than watering that, what you are watering is every time your kids come to you and they have done something wrong, you pour censure on them. You judge them. You don't give them the opportunity to speak their mind, to be different to you. And so although you want a close relationship, you are watering the weed of mistrust. Although you want there to be love, you are watering the weed of judgment. And you are going to reap that when they leave and they never want to talk to you again. And this is a hard word. And my daughter is six, but I've already hit that moment where I'm like, you know, I need to be a parent for relationship, not for reputation. And some of us may have to wrestle with that in our life. There are others who say, well, this year, what we really want to do is we want to buy our first home. We want to be in a place where we can, we can buy our first home. And yet what you're doing is you are watering every 60% of sale that ASOS or Amazon has, 
and you are not watering your down payment. And so you are unable to realize or to reap what you say you really want. And it goes on. And so Isaiah, excuse me, Hosea was saying that we need to sow to God so we can reap righteousness. And it goes on. Let me think about those who are here at um, the tournament. My friends, okay, I'm not being that hard, but I will be a little. You're not in the final. I'm sure it could be because the ref was just terrible, gave bad calls, you know, didn't do what your team needed, right? It's always the ref's fault. Let's blame the ref. Or maybe it's because when your coach told you you need to be up at five and do laps, maybe when your coach told you, listen, you know why Steph Curry is one of the greatest three-point shooters? Because he puts up 500 shots a day off-season, 300 during the season, not counting the shots he takes in the season, 182,500 shots he takes a year, and you're spending time on NBA 2K. You're not going to be Steph Curry. (laughs) So... And so you say, oh, I'm, I want to be Steph Curry, but you're actually like pouring water on shooting like, you know, Dwight Howard. <laughs> and so we have to look at what we say versus what we do. And it's important if we're going to launch into a new year in every area of our life, our family, our finances, whether it's sports, whether it's our academics, to be able to be intelligent in the decisions we make so that we can pour water, not on weeds, but on the things that we want to be, um, the things we want to flourish and to have an abundant harvest. And so this is the question I'm going to leave you with this morning. And the question we're going to put it up is this. There are two questions. What have you been watering that you need to let die in 2020? What have you been watering like me? You've invested time, emotional energy, and labor relationships, miles, credit card debt that you need to let die because you are not watering something that will give you life, but you are watering a weed. And the second question for us to consider this morning is this, what have you been neglecting that you need to water? Because we're finite beings. You cannot give 100% of your attention to one thing, and expect it to grow while you are not given the attention that it needs. And so some of us need to think about what we have been neglecting, that we want to see uh, grow and flourish this year. Because the decisions we make in January, the water we begin to pour on, this, on these plants will take root and will come up in the rest of the year. And now for some of you, I'm going to uh, do this. You've probably listened to this some and you're like, oh, my friend, okay, good stuff, not me. My life is not that um, dramatic. I'm good. That's fine. Because uh, taxonomically, there is no difference between a plant and a weed. A weed is a weed because we decide it's a weed. A weed in someone's garden could be a flower in another person's garden. But one thing that holds true is that we're all finite. There is a sense of finitude that we all have to deal with. And so perhaps it's not a matter of you have had weeds in your life, but it's a matter of fact that you have a finite amount of time and you're trying to water too many things, which is going to make you happier in 10 years, that your kids come to Thanksgiving, that your kids call you when you need them, 
or that you have a big house because you've had a great career, but there are no kids who want to come back to it. Which is more important? So even if your life does not feel like there's this tussle and drama, there are things we need to consider and which are challenging for us as we go into a new year. Because if we don't do it, we are going to water the wrong things and find out too late and have bitter recrimination when we find out we have watered weeds in our life that we thought were plants. And yet, as I read Hosea, we said that he was a prophet of doom and gloom, but we find that there are places in Hosea where he gives us a, a picture of God's grace and of what God is, um, God is wanting to do in our life in our moment of aridity. Let me read a few for you. Hey, Kaylee, I know, I'm calling you, right? Let me get a tissue, please. I appreciate it. All right, turn with me to Hosea. We're going to read a couple of verses here. Um, Hosea chapter 11, verse 8. And listen to how God speaks to these people who have been far from him, who have been watering the wrong thing. He says, how can I give you up Ephraim? How can I hand you over Israel? How can I make you like Adama, how can I set you like Zeboim? And then God says this, like a, a lover. He says, my heart turns within me. My sympathy is stirred. And then go to the end of the book, Hosea chapter 14, as he brings this book to a close. I'm going to read a few verses for you, which I think should give you solace and hope and sympathy and compassion. If you feel like, man, my life doesn't have just one weed, but it's like the kudzu. Maybe God has given up on me. Maybe it's too late. Maybe I've pushed my spouse too far away. Maybe I've alienated my kids too far. Maybe I'm just in such a broken state. I can't get out of this hole. I can't water the right things. Listen to God as he speaks to you. He says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. My anger has turned away from him. Hosea 14 verse 4, verse 5. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall grow like the lily and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. His branches shall spread, his beauty shall be like an olive tree, and his fragrance like Lebanon. Those who dwell under his shadow shall return, they shall be revived like grain and grow like the vine. Their scent shall be like the wine of Lebanon. My friends, this is God's desire and dream and wish for you in this year that your scent will be beautiful, will perfume the lives of those around you, that you will have an atavic root system that is so deep that it cannot be pulled out by adversity, that God is going to be with you to settle you on your life, but you have a decision to make because God can settle you on your life, but you have to decide what you put your energy in watering. And my prayer is that all of us will come to the end of the year and we can say praise God because we made a decision in January that has made a profound effect on our life, on our marriage, on our kids, on our grades. We have made a decision and God has blessed us so that we are able to come to a place of abundance and joy where before we were spending our energy on weeds instead of plants. May the Lord bless you as you wrestle with these decisions. It's not easy. 
It's going to be painful. You're going to have to have some conversations with people. You'll have to call some people on the phone. But God will go with you. And God has given you the promise that as we follow him, he will always be with us. And that he will come into our life and help those things grow, which will bring beauty and abundance. Amen.